0: Welcome. I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and I'm a professor of philosophy and religious studies at Arizona State University, and I'm following up on my video about the evidences for the resurrection with this video about what does it mean to say Jesus is God. All I ask in return is that you subscribe to my channel and leave a like for the video. So what does that mean to say Jesus is God or a God? Is this something Christians added on later after Jesus' teaching to make him stand out and try to attract followers? I'm going to look at a, a short clip here from this uh, uh, religious studies professor, Bart Ehrman, and he's going to suggest something like that. And then I'm going to come back and evaluate that idea. Is that, is that really what happened?
1: Here we go. That. The time of Jesus divinity becoming divine is pushed backwards repeatedly. It works like this. The earliest Christians, so far as we can tell, the very first Christians, like, you know, I don't know when we're talking, like two weeks after Jesus' death or something. In the New Testament, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus is raised on the third day. And it's at that point that people start believing in him. In my book, uh, something I'm not going to get into here, I explain why I think that's problematic historically. I'm not sure that on the third day, people started saying Jesus got raised from the dead and taken up to heaven. I'm not sure that that's the case, but I, I won't go into that here. In the New Testament, that's what happens. I don't know if it's three days later, it was two weeks later, two months later. At some point, Christians started saying that Jesus was raised from the dead and exalted to heaven. And that's the point at which he became the son of God. But as they thought about it more, they thought, wait a second, Jesus became the son of God when he got resurrected. I mean, he was doing all these great things during his life. Wasn't he the son of God then? And so Christians started saying that Jesus exaltation was not at his resurrection. It was at his baptism at the beginning of his ministry. His entire ministry was the ministry of the son of God. And so they started telling a story that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he came up out of the water, the heavens split open. The spirit of God descended upon him and the voice came from heaven. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. When is the today now? Now it's the day of the resurrection, the day of the baptism. So Jesus was the son of God, not just at the resurrection, but for his entire ministry, he was the son of God. Christians thought about it some more and they started thinking, you know, actually probably wasn't just at his baptism. He was probably always the son of God. He probably was the son of God from the time that he was born. And so you start having uh, Christians tell about how Jesus was born miraculously. It wasn't just that his resurrection or his baptism, his birth was miraculous. And so you get the stories in Matthew and Luke of Jesus being born of a woman who's a virgin. These stories are not found in our earliest gospel mark. They're not found or evidenced at all in the writings of Paul. They are first found in Matthew and Luke. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus is born because God makes Mary pregnant. Remember, the second way that some people could be a divine human was if a divine being impregnated a mortal. That's what happens. It's most explicitly stated in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Mary is this young woman, and the angel Gabriel comes to her and tells her that she's going to conceive a son and. She is confused, I've, I, I've, never, I, I've never known a man, meaning I've never, I've never had sex with a man. Uh, I don't even like men or that part got edited out. So, um, so, um, so, uh, so but Gabriel, Gabriel says to her that uh, he says, the Holy, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you so the one born of you shall be called holy the son of god why is jesus the son of god because the spirit makes mary pregnant and it sounds very physical he'll come upon you and overshadow you so it has this kind of physical dimension it's not the same as you know Jupiter coming down in the sky of Amphitryon, and it's not like, you know, so it, it, it's not necessarily a sexual reference.
0: All right, so the, uh, I'm going to edit this part out here, let me pause this. So we see Airmen giving a kind of argument, which is the common argument that's been used by other uh, theistic religions against Christianity to say, yeah, this is just Christianity adopting Egyptian or Greek or Roman polytheism about the origins of Jesus. And you have this backward moment, movement he called it, Christology as they try to identify Christ earlier and earlier in his life as God. So let me switch to my notes here. There's an interesting kind of projection on the part of, Airman in the whole the whole video, which sometimes even gets uncomfortable. Um, I might add that right here, projection from uh, his thinking patterns to the past thinking patterns of others. In other words, it could be like this. He doesn't understand that it's clear that God exists. That unbelief is a sin, that, that he needs a Messiah. And so he doesn't understand who that Messiah is. So he projects his, it's not even misunderstanding, although misunderstandings do accumulate. It, it's uh culpable ignorance, not knowing what he should know. And he projects his own culpable ignorance back onto others. They didn't know either. And they didn't have that framework I just mentioned, because if, if, it, if they did, and he would, and he doesn't, so they didn't. So they just kind of dawns on them, well, if he was raised from the dead, he must be a god. And, well, wait a minute, wouldn't he be a god during his life when he's having all these great events, his ministry, etc.? So you heard the argument. Now, here's a question. We don't even have to necessarily reject that argument. We could say, okay, is this a learning process or is it falsehood? In other words, when did they come to realize the truth about who Jesus was? His argument seems to, and he'll say this at other places, but at least there, it seems to indicate clearly this means he's not God. Uh, In in the other video I did with him speaking in a debate with William Wayne Craig, yeah, he just says that's preposterous that God raised Jesus from the dead. So he would say, yeah, this is just falsehood. They're just adding that on because they have motivations, like they want to promote their new religion. Now, are they adding it on and they think it's false? Maybe that's deception, or they're adding it on, but they mistakenly think it's true. That could be the case, too. This, this Lord, liar, lunatic, I think, is a mistake because of that. Uh, it, it could be not that they're lying, but they're simply mistaken. And that seems to be the gist of his argument. But his sa- that same argument could just say, look, that's a learning process. That's how they came to understand the truth about who Jesus was, the person they'd been with this whole time. They misunderstood him, and that shouldn't surprise us because they abandoned him. When he was arrested, they didn't understand who he was. They Peter denied him and has to be restored. So all you're describing, airman is the learning process. It doesn't indicate if this was true or false. The way we'll do that is we'll know the framework of reality. Is it true that God the Creator exists? Is sin real? Is the Messiah the vicarious atonement? You know those things going into discussing Christology not the other way around. So all he's described is that learning process. Now, so the question is, did Christians add this later for other reasons like promoting their new religion, but it contradicts the Old Testament? Or do they add this later and it turns out, yeah, this is just a consistent outworking of what the Old Testament promised about the Messiah. And that's an ongoing debate between Judaism and Christianity, of course, but that's a different uh, tone to his Christology movement than what he gives. So the first thing is just to say, even if his, his description's accurate, and I'm not saying it is, it doesn't prove what he thinks it proves. What can be known from Moses and the prophets about the Messiah? And really that's to set up the question, how did Jesus himself approach this? We see that in Luke 24, 25, when he's on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, just after his resurrection, they don't recognize him. And they're talking about what happened to him. And and he, he joins them and asks what they're talking about. And they say, don't you know everything that just happened? And they explain this. And they say they're confused. And what he says then is, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. All the scriptures means the old, what we call the Old Testament, not the New Testament. There's no New Testament yet. So he's not going to the book of Matthew to prove something. So the New Testament apologists or the Christian apologists are already mistaken because that's what they usually do. They get into arguments about was the tomb empty? Was the Lord liar lunatic? Did the apostles make this up? How many witnesses were there? When you can show this is what was expected. It's not a a New Testament addition going to 1.C here uh is believed to be coming out of the scriptures okay well uh what does that mean though who is this god that you're speaking of that jesus is either uh, conceived of the virgin mary by god or or uh is god how do we make sense of that and that's where we get various interpretations of god and his you might have seen the very beginning he had a, a p- projection of divine humans and say, yeah, this is just one more story of divine humans. Well, is it? We have to fit those into a context out of which their stories happen. So the most common ones that he mentioned were Greek examples. And the Romans might have the their same version with different names, Zeus or Jupiter. I think he mentioned Jupiter, so Roman. But same story. Uh, that's down here at C. Maybe I should have put C first. And you get polytheist stories. Now, these don't fit at all for the following reason. When we speak about yahweh we're speaking about i am the one who existed from eternity and created all things male female in the beginning created by god nothing else is co-eternal with god god doesn't have a spouse that's back up here to dualism god doesn't have a spouse with whom he has babies christians don't teach that there might be some I might find some aberrant group that does but uh this is back to genesis 1 that's why i said moses and the prophets you know from the very beginning. It's clear that only God is eternal. Nothing else is eternal. That's not like polytheism and the occult at all. In polytheism, Jupiter had a beginning. He had a dad who tried to kill him, right? That's one of the parts of his story. He has a physical body, the essence of Jupiter. And so, yeah, he has physical relationships with a woman to have a baby. Well, that's not what's going on at all in theism. God's not a body. That's what stands out about Christology, is the incarnation of God who's not carnate not physical. So that doesn't fit at all. It's like he sees a similarity. These guys worship this Jupiter, these guys worship Yahweh, therefore it's the same. No, that's not enough of a similarity. That's a superficial similarity. And I mentioned the dualistic systems where you'll have like a male and female dualism and perhaps they have a child. And that, that, that's the sometimes called the pagan trinity. You'll have Baal, Ashtoreth, and a golden calf, their child. So the dualistic producing a third thing, male, female from eternity. And so they'll say, yeah, that produced Christ. Well, that's not the same framework at all. Again, the categories they're using, like what is eternal? What is a good life? Are the same for all. But that's not what matters. What matters is the information you put into, the answer you give. Well, what is eternal? You have a monist interpretation. Christ is one of the great thinkers that become incarnate from the one being every now and then to redirect humans back to the one. So you'll have these interpretations that are going. So the question is, can we know what is true about what's eternal? Not jumping first to the deity of Christ or the virgin birth of the resurrection, but can we know, is it true... That only God is eternal. That uh, sin begins in unbelief about that point, which gives us these. Redemption from sin requires vicarious atonement. The other theistic religions that deny this about Christ would deny that point, right? They say, no, it doesn't require that you can have it in some other way. But that's what has to be settled before you get to the virgin birth, because then you'll make sense of the virgin birth. And Christ is the eternal Logos, who makes God known, who's who in the beginning, he was there, meaning he's not made. All things were made through him. And he's with God and is God. That's what gives you. The doctrine that Christians took a few centuries, they had to take time to work out what does that mean exactly? and I mean, proposal, well, no, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. This is what it must mean. That's not an accretion just added for insincere purposes to promote religion. That's wrestling with these truths and coming to try to learn them. So the fact that the disciples after his resurrection and even while talking with him still didn't know and later on put it together doesn't prove that is made up or false. That's the learning process. That's precisely what sin is and why he came to redeem them. So the logos who makes God known and who becomes incarnate full of grace and truth. So redemption from sin requires that. And then the virgin birth is from Genesis three, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Not the seed of the man, the woman, which is the normal uh, way. From the very beginning, it was promised that will be a seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Now we can flip it on Bart Ehrman. It's not that Jesus is in this other story of divine humans in one of those. Those other stories of divine humans are taken from this. In unbelief, there are misunderstandings of what was promised the seed of the woman and mistaken attempts to identify that one. And false messiahs may have come and said, I'm the one, I'm the seed of the woman, and I'll save you. So the virgin birth is there from the beginning. That's not a Christian addition. And the seed of the woman is particularly this, not of Adam, to undo what Adam did and do what Adam failed to do. So he's not in that line. He's doing what Adam should have done. He becomes a representative of those that he stands in the place of, where Adam was a representative of those in sin. So those aren't things that Christians are adding on later. That's the teaching from Genesis coming down. And the Christians didn't see it. In the, in, 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 these early Christians were Jewish. They didn't see it in their own scriptures, in Moses and the prophets, and it had to be pointed out to them. That's the learning process. So the virgin birth shouldn't be approached as, say, wow, he was born born a virgin. That's pretty rare. He must be a special person. That's not how you approach it. You approach it as, yeah, that's what we should have expected. Uh, rather than a surprise. And and Ehrman doesn't expect it. He doesn't understand these things. And so he isn't able to expect what he should expect. Instead, he sees it as ridiculous and ancient superstition, just like the Egyptians and Greeks and Romans. And he misses these important differences. And in doing that, he's able to mock and make fun of the virgin birth rather than understanding it's important piece in who Christ is. The one who came to undo what Adam did and do what Adam failed to do. And we see that right away in his temptation, just like Adam was tempted, Christ was tempted, but he overcame where Adam, on the very first one, Adam failed right out of the gate. So the virgin birth, is Jesus a God? And I put that word, a God there on purpose, because that immediately really talks to us about, yeah, that's just one of these. He's just one of the, the gods that walks among us. Maybe he's one of the ancient aliens. will say he's one of the aliens that comes down and gives us enlightenment. That's the monistic view. One of the great teachers said, no, no, not at all. He's the Messiah, the promised one who represent vicar- in a vicarious atonement. And that whole view of aliens, gods, occult is part of the sin that needs redemption the sin of failing to know that only God is eternal, and God is real. God is the creator and is knowable, is not distant or silent or far away or secret, uh, is readily knowable. And that's precisely why unbelief is without excuse. So uh, an alternative approach to thinking about where the virgin birth fits in and explaining how a scholar like Bart Ehrman could miss it. So thanks for joining me in talking about the divinity of Christ.